Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're going to be talking about the Edinburgh Festival and the TV adaptation of J.K. Rowling's crime novel, The Cuckoo's Calling. We've also listened to the BBC radio series Love in Recovery for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. It is nearly here. The time has nearly arrived. Our very busy week of Seriously events is just, what, 10 days away now? That's about it. (laughs) Yeah, so on the 12th of September, you get a final chance to air your Game of Thrones thoughts with us. Game of Thrones quiz at the book club in Shoreditch. There are a handful of tickets left, not many at all. So definitely come along. I know Anna's plotting some... uh, post-season seven spoilery questions to liven things up a bit. Not that it needs that. It was a very lively night last time. And then on the Sunday of that week, on the 17th, we're doing a live episode at the London Podcast Festival, which we would love if you would come along. If you want to get tickets, seriouslypod.com forward slash events. It's all on there. Great. Well, I really hope as many people come as possible. I'm excited. We just love to do events, don't we? Yeah, we do. And uh, the live episode we did at the Shout Out Festival before was loads of fun. Like, actually a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. I was quite nervous about it, but it turns out that actually just sitting on a stage and doing this is not that different to sitting in a room on our own and doing this, apart from better, because there are nice people there. And the audience was great, which really helps. So it's nice to have friendly faces in the crowd. Yeah. Also, if you are in Britain or on the internet, I feel you can't fail to have noticed that the Great British Bake Off is back tonight, Tuesday, as we record this. Obviously, it's a bit controversial. This is its first episode since moving from the BBC. There's not going to be any Mary, no Mel and Sue. I've seen lots of people on social media saying that they are, you know, watching one to give it a chance to see how it goes, <laughs> which is funny. I actually heard someone in the news agent say that the other day as well. It's Aww. I have actually seen the first episode. What? TV critic privilege. Yeah, though I don't know who went because they always chop off the end of the screeners for reviews. So they like don't allow Ah. you to see who's like the star baker or who goes home. And yeah, for me, like the reviews were really positive. But for me, it's not it's not great. But the thing is, I feel like you do mainly watch the Bake Off actually for the contestants, less so than Mary and Mel and Sue and stuff. Like the Mm. contestants are always the best bit when you get really, really good contestants and the contestants are good. But like the rest of it just like isn't up to scratch to me. 
there's one bit like no spoilers but there was one bit right at the beginning where Prue Leith said well you know it's cake week and the important thing about cakes is you know that you have to make sure they're worth the calories and I was like what this isn't in the spirit of the bake-off why are you mentioning calories like five seconds into the first episode like what a way to make people like feel guilty about this like show that delights in sugar i feel really i don't know i didn't like that at all so like things like that for me are just like this is not the bake-off that i know and love but anyway we'll talk about it in more detail after i'm back from holiday so in in a couple of weeks time yeah we're going to give it a couple of episodes and then we'll do a proper segment on it but I just wanted to mention it now partly because you know big pop culture event but also because we're going to take part in the fantasy bake-off league which I did last year with my housemates and it is the most fun even if you're not massively enjoying the program the competition within the league is very fun it works like fantasy football you log in at fantasybakeoff.co.uk you sign up and then you choose who you think is going to win Star Baker every week, who's going to leave, that kind of thing. And then it gives you points according to how well you predict by the end of the series, you know, you want to be on top. So we've started our own Seriously League. It's really easy to join. Just drop us an email or send us a DM on Twitter and I'll send you the instructions for how to join. And uh, yeah, join us in there. I would warn everyone that Amelia Tate, who wrote the article for The New Statesman, where she in-depth investigated all the contestants social media to find out who she thinks will win she is in the league so i'd say she's the one to beat (laughs) i don't know i'm gonna have to decide whether or not i can compete properly in this though because if i end up watching the episodes in advance every week then that's that's gonna be quite an unfair advantage that's true maybe (laughs) we should disqualify you on the basis i might have to be disqualified or at least promise to like do my bit before i watch the episodes or whatever yeah that's true you can make your nominations i think like as soon as the episode's over for the next week so maybe we just have to put you on your honour that that's what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, exciting. So much exciting stuff to come. But I'd actually just had a very exciting week. Yes, you've been to Edinburgh. Yeah, I was in Edinburgh for two festivals. The more well-known Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is, of course, a festival that runs throughout August in Edinburgh. And that's sort of comedy, theatre, a whole mix of different kinds of live shows. And... Also, the lesser known Edinburgh TV Festival, which is an industry specific festival for kind of people who write TV and make TV programs, or perhaps they're PRs, or perhaps they're journalists who write about TV, like me. Anyway, you know, people who live and work in the TV world. So I was there for that too, which was quite interesting. Like, there were lots of cool events about like where TV is going and stuff. And also I was at a lot of parties and did a lot of celeb spotting being like, uh-huh. oh, look, there's Stephen Moffat over in the corner or like, oh, Charlie Brooke is here. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> like Rory Bremner. That's the kind of level that we're at. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was fun. And I actually did get to see quite a lot of stuff at the Fringe, which I was worried that I wouldn't have time to do. But I basically did a lot of like literally running from show to show, which did mean a couple of times like they wouldn't let me in because I was like two minutes late or whatever, which was, you know, that was entirely my own fault. But I, yeah, I did get to see lots of shows at the Fringe. So we thought we might talk a little bit about the stuff that I saw last week because it was a cultured time for me. I feel like running between things at the fringe is the authentic festival experience yeah so uh what were your say let's say what were your top three things you saw my top three oh that's hard um i think my favorite thing that i saw 
it's going to be so difficult to explain and you're going to be like what is she talking about um, <laughs> but it was called dollywood as in you know dollywood dolly parton's theme park mm. except spelt wood as in you know what would dolly parton do i see it's by this company called shit theater and it's these two girls and it was very very odd it's a show like rather than a play but it is very scripted and it's them talking about their obsession with dolly parton and they like wear these outfits that are a bit dolly parton-esque so they're wearing this sort of big kind of white woolly wig and these like little denim cut off shorts and then at one point they also cut you know like regina george cuts holes in her top in mean girls or someone mm. does it you oh know, yeah janice does it and then she's wearing they do that but they've got nothing on underneath so they've just got their like breasts poking through these holes in their like pink vest tops from for the vast majority of it so they they open with this kind of anecdote that they kind of deliver in a very rehearsed way about Dolly Parton like entering herself into a drag queen competition like a Dolly Parton drag queen competition so there are all these oh, drag wow. queens doing like a Dolly Parton lookalike contest where they've got like ridiculous wigs and so on and Dolly Parton entered herself and like just did her wig way more extreme than usual and like do you know what i mean like just really overdid her normal dress and makeup and she lost <laughs> so they talk about that but then they're also talking about all these other things so they're really interested in dolly the sheep you know dolly the the clone the clone sheep yeah yeah so they're talking about that and they tell they tell a story about you know they keep saying things like dolly grew up on a farm she's totally unique that's what we love about her and you're not sure if they're talking about the sheep or the person and also their wigs kind of look a bit sheepy they're like they're like woolly and then occasionally they're like bend over and the fact that their boobs are poking out their t-shirt looks quite like animalistic when they bend over and they look quite like sheep so it's all weird and they're making parallels between the person and the sheep and then <laughs> they're also talking about this like the other main attraction near dollywood is a body farm where like they literally like leave bodies to decompose and people donate their bodies for it. And it's like, you know, a way of ex looking at how bodies decompose in different situations and stuff. And so they are also talking about this farm as well as like the, the farms that the Dollies grew up on. And it's all about like Dolly Parton's relationship with her body and like death. And like, it's really, really weird, but it was really funny. And there's like lots of like country music interspersed with it and really really dark and like i left it just like wow that was amazing it was like read it was like the equivalent of reading maggie nelson's bluets in the way that it was so like connections being made between stuff that you just wouldn't expect it to be but it was just so good <laughs> anyway that was a very long rambling explanation of what dollywood is but that's my favorite one by far so i think if shit theater do anything that is outside edinburgh keep your eyes peeled then my other two favorite things i saw one i think you would like a lot was a play called education 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 and it's about teachers um and it's set the day after tony blair wins the election in 97 mm. and it's just about these teachers like trying their best to like teach well in this school and the cast play both teachers and students and it was just really like very politically engaged but also very human and it's like got an amazing like 90s music soundtrack and like there's like references to tamagotchis and stuff and there's a lot of like dance in it it's like very choreographed like not not like dance dance but just like people moving in weird ways and it was just really funny and also really good and at the end i like cried and like felt enraged at the state of education funding in our country but it was great so i think you'd like that one anyway 
I don't know if it'll it'll tour or anything, but keep your eyes peeled for education, education, education. Mm, that sounds really good. They should yeah. definitely do it at Labour Conference, if not anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really know the audience. And then third, I would say I saw some stand-up by someone called Rose Matafeo. I don't know if you've heard of her. I think she is doing quite well. No, I don't well. think so. She's from New Zealand, but she lives in London and she's really funny. And her stand-up was called Sassy Best Friend. And it was about, you know, that line in The Holiday where I think, is it Jude Law who says to Kate Winslet, you're playing the sassy best friend in your own life. And she's talking about that and like her relationship with rom-coms. But it's like, she talks about loads of things and it's it's really funny. Like she loves Michael Jackson, even though he's problematic and she talks about that and stuff. I just really liked it. And I think she, I imagine she's going to start doing quite well because there was a bit of buzz about her and I know that she's done some other things. So yeah, Rose Matafeo would be third. So sorry for the very long rambling <laughs> explanation of my highlights, but those were my highlights from Edinburgh deaths. No, that sounds great. That sounds really, really good. I attempted to vicariously enjoy Edinburgh by browsing the BBC, the various BBC feeds from there. There were mm-hmm. a few like TV highlight programs and some stuff on the radio, but I actually found it quite difficult because there's either not very much at all i.e. like one hour long TV programme where Kirsty Walk does the best of the Edinburgh Festival in 2017 and tries to like Mm. show you everything in an hour or they do like a comedy podcast that's like an hour every single day where you yeah where they also try and be like so this was what happened yesterday which I also find quite hard to catch up with because I wasn't going to listen to 20 days worth totally but this is the inherent problem of the Fringe Festival, isn't it? Is that there's just so much that you either get this like very, very like basic, not very well explained, like pricey of what's on, or you get like very, very long, detailed, overwhelming guides that are just like impossible to sift through. So I don't know. It just feels like that the festival is so big that it's almost a problem. Yeah, you want something in between. So I mean, I ended up listening to I, I listened to a couple of things one of which was a stand-up set by Hannah Gadsby who I subsequently learned went on to be the joint winner of the like overall what's it called it used to be called the Perrier Award now I think it's just called the Edinburgh Comedy Award oh cool yeah she shared it with John Robbins who's um Sarah Pascoe's ex oh no way <laughs> so yeah it was, it was in- interesting actually that um so hannah gadsby's show she's australian and it's all about uh the fight for equal marriage in australia oh that's interesting it's actually quite sad i was reading the report she's giving up stand-up this is her last show because she said it's just taken such a personal toll oh wow that's really hard which is really sad that she's kind of chucking it in but you can see why and she says like you know sometimes touring to regional parts of australia she's not felt very safe because of all the homophobia and you know so she's got to do what she got to do but obviously she is very talented so hopefully whatever she does next will be equally excellent i just found it funny that so she won the award jointly with john robbins (laughs) who so both john robbins and sarah pascoe had shows at the fringe this year about each other yeah i heard that hers was about like being single for the first time since 2001 which is like Ah, that would be so hard. <laughs> yeah, hers was not nominated at all, and his won. So I have no idea what that says about interesting how they award these things or whatever. But um, yeah, I've, it's difficult to judge without having seen either show. But I have to say, just reading that information made me think: could it be that people are more interested in? the man's experience of a relationship maybe <laughs> uh or maybe 
maybe hers was just not as good maybe this could also be possible but probably not yeah i have to say i mean i obviously i didn't go to the fringe this year but i have been and performed in past years when i was a student and you're absolutely right what you say about you i don't know i felt like i existed in this constant state of like everyone seeing amazing things that i wasn't seeing and feeling very hectic and kind of ah whereas actually the best experiences I had there were often the random ones where you just walked into something because it looked empty and it was raining and it was amazing like I remember me and my friend Brian ended up going about five times because we were there for the whole month and also if you're a performer you get a pass for the venue that you're in you get a pass to go and see anything else in the same set of venues so you can go to things repeatedly without it costing money that's great it was a Blues Brothers tribute show uh, that was on at about 11.30 every night. Oh and we went, we went like three or four times a week. We liked it so much. That's amazing. Much. That's great. Yeah, so much stuff sells out as well that sometimes you can feel a bit like, oh, I'm at this festival and there's like all this amazing stuff on, but I can't actually go to any of it. Yeah. But yeah, but obviously it's something you've got to do. I'd never done it before and you do have to go and experience it because it's amazing. Yeah, well, I'm glad you had a good time anyway. And yeah, if any other listeners were at the festival, let us know what your highlights were. Here you come again Just when I've begun to get myself together You walk right in the door Just like you've done before And you wrap my heart Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So the next thing we're going to talk about this week is The Cuckoo's Calling, which is a novel by J.K. Rowling written under the pseudonym Robert Galbraith. I think that's how you say Robert Galbraith, is it? I think so. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think so. It's a detective story following private detective Cormoran Strike, who's this kind of like mid-30s, disheveled. It ticks a lot of the classic detective uh, boxes in that, you know, he's down the pub quite a lot and he's in debt and like, this is the case that he needs. But it follows the death of a 
model called Lula Landry, who's got a kind of mysterious background. And the first novel in the series starts when Cormoran Strike gets a new sort of temp called Robin. The world knew her as Lula Landry. I think she was murdered. My name is Cormoran Strike. I'm a private investigator. Robin Alicott. I'm the new temp. Do you think Lula Landry was murdered and we messed up the investigation? She was scared. The chap they picked up on the CCTV, they never traced him. What on earth would I need an alibi for? Too frightened of him. Lula was in the wrong nest. Leave me alone! Little Rock knows more about me than you lot of will. Where shall I say you are if anyone important calls? Down the So I really feel like it is a very traditional murder mystery in a lot of senses but with the added joy of it being written by jk rowling so in this prose style that a lot of us know and love from harry potter and now it's been adapted into a series for the bbc and i've watched the first one i don't i'm not quite sure on the release date for this did they just like dump it all on iplayer at once i don't think so actually i think it was on like sunday and monday night of the bank holiday weekend i think it was one of those ah i see because it's in three parts three parts yeah and so two are out now i think that's right yeah okay cool so i i just watched part one what about you yeah same here i did read the book last Ah. week though having not read it at all obviously i'd heard about it when the whole like Robert Galbraith is unmasked as J.K. Rowling thing happened. Yeah, of course. But I didn't read it at that point because I don't tend to read a lot of contemporary crime novels, actually. I'm more into the, you know, 20s and 30s ones. I read a lot of those ones. Yeah, so it's interesting. My friend Tracy had recommended it to me a few times and she described it to me as trashy in the Dan Brown way, but good, (laughs) which is a description I can now, having read it, I can see where she's coming from because It is quite typical slash cliched in lots of ways. As you say, the detective character fulfills lots of the angsty qualities that they often have. And there's lots of things taken as read. You're supposed to be fairly familiar with some tropes and that kind of thing. Yeah. But the plot is pacey and I did want to know what happened. So it is good as well. You know, it isn't boring. Totally. I haven't actually read The Cuckoo's Calling, but I read the first 200 pages of it and I'm going to try and like finish the book before I, you know, I want to try and read slightly ahead of the adaptions. Mm. I just find her prose, even if you don't think it's particularly like literary or stylish, I find it just like getting into a nice warm bath. I found it so easy and so comforting to read. So you know, I loved that element of it. I'm not like um, a crime fiction obsessive. So I don't know how it stands up to other sort of contemporary crime novels, because the other crime novels I've read are sort of like Agatha Christie. Um, and like the occasional, you know, like when Gone Girl goes massive or something like that. Mm. So I don't really know how it compares to kind of like its competitors in that area. But yeah, for me, it's just like, a great read yeah there are certain things about it and i'm not going to say what happens because you haven't read it and also listeners might be watching it still but uh, there are also just certain things about the plot and the way it works that i feel like take it over and above your basic crime novel like for instance there's quite a lot hinges on the fact that a witness to lula landry falling um who's a woman who lives in the flat below her who is adamant that she heard somebody arguing with Lula just before she fell, thereby indicating that she probably didn't jump, she was pushed. This witness gets completely discredited by the police because she's 
a woman who's taken drugs in the past and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like Rowling puts quite a few of those points in, kind of where she says, this is what people might think about this person, but this is what's actually going on with them. So yes, this person maybe has mental health issues or maybe this person is disabled, but look, actually, this is what they've got to say. Yeah. And in that way, she takes it under the cliche a bit which I think was good. So as someone who's read the book and seen some of the adaption, how do you think it how do you think it functioned like as an adaption? Well, it's pretty faithful from what I've seen so far. I've only seen the first one. They've sort of sanded off a few of the rougher edges. Like I was quite <laughs> I was quite startled to see that they've altered the the way that Robin and Cormoran Strike the detective meet slightly. Oh, yeah, they have. In the book, she you know, comes up this big flight of spiral stairs up to where his office is. And at the very moment she gets to the door, he opens the door outwards and knocks her over. And she would have gone all the way back down the stairs and probably really hurt herself. But in the book, he grabs her by the boob and pulls her in. Yeah. (laughs) Which I actually quite liked as a sort of strange meet cute in the book, because I was like, well, that's very awkward for everybody and thereby gets the conversation flowing. And also establishes the fact that theirs is not going to be a kind of sexual relationship, that theirs is going to be a kind of professional and relationship full of camaraderie and that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. That's interesting. But in the adaptation, there was no boob grabbing. He just grabs her coat and pulls her. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. They've toned that down. It would be hard to choreograph. (laughs) Yeah, maybe without actually hurting the actress's boob. But I don't know. I'm sure they could have done it. There's obviously other things that they've managed to... But yeah. Well, they've managed to make it look like, oh, I think is his name Tom Burke, the yes, guy who's playing Cormoran Strike. They've managed to make it look like Tom Burke has lost part of his leg yeah. when he hasn't. Yeah. Which um, I read quite an interesting little piece. Um, the director is slightly reluctant to reveal exactly how they did this, mm. but he did say it involves green screen and a body double. Interesting. Yeah, because there were parts where I thought maybe it was just two separate people and they had like you know, above the waist shots and below the waist shots, but they did seem to... And then there are a few shots where you, you do see Cormoran strike sort of, like, his whole body in one go. But yeah, I like the character a lot, and I know that the, the character of Cormoran strike is one that is kind of built from cliches, really. Like, troubled, violent past, dealing with war trauma, girlfriend who's left him or, you know, he's left her, you know, recently broken down relationship money troubles likes his alcohol like gruff seems a little rude sometimes disorganized like all these things that are just you know by the book cliches of like what a what a kind of grumpy crime detective would be like but it works doesn't it it works for a reason and when she does kind of play around with stereotypes jk rowling always does it really really well like she doesn't she like makes sure that people are always 3d like you never you never don't buy her characters i think so Mm. it works for me yeah it does and it's not completely groundbreaking in any particular way but i feel like it's a very good example of an established form which i think makes sense with how she came to write it in the first place because i think i think i'm right in saying that part of the reason why she did it under under a pseudonym in the first place is because she was just doing it for fun like she just wanted to try a different kind of writing Mm. and like slip into a different genre after and you can totally see why after obviously all the harry potter success and then the you remember the huge amount of pressure and fuss there was when the casual vacancy came out mm. 
you know, like they had that rule that critics were only allowed to like see a copy at the publisher's office and they weren't allowed to have any a pen in the room with them and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, so terrified they were that it would leak, etc., etc. You know, you can see why she would quite like to, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just write a crime novel and put it out under a different <laughs> yeah, name totally. and that will actually be a fun writing experience for me. Totally, yeah. I have to make a diversion briefly to just say mm. that while I was in Edinburgh this week, I also did a Harry Potter tour and went to some of the places that, you know, J.K. Rowling supposedly wrote bits of Harry Potter in and, um, you know, things that inspired her and stuff. And it was really cool. <laughs> I'm such a nerd, but I found it so fun, like going to the graves of, you know, people called Tom Riddle who inspired, you know, character names or like ah. the, the William McGonagall plaque that apparently gave her the idea for Professor McGonagall and just stuff like that. And also hearing, you know, I'm, this is a well-worn anecdote that I'm so, sure many listeners have heard before, but about her like writing the final chapter of, of Harry Potter in the, I think it's called the Balmoral Hotel in Edinburgh, the like really big posh one. And uh, like in the penthouse suite on the top floor and then like finishing it and like being really overwhelmed and just like glugging half a bottle of champagne from the minibar and like scrawling on a bust of Plato like Harry Potter was finished here by JK Rowling on this day. <laughs> and it's like still it's now like in there upside down, like in a glass jar so that you can see what she's written on it. And I was just like, oh, my God, can you imagine that life? That would be the dream life. Like it's just, it's just so it's such an insanely decadent and also like literary story it's just kind of irresistible so yeah it was, it was fun to sort of like be at the site of some jk rowling writing places this week for me yeah and she's carrying on with robert galbraith isn't she i know there's i think there's two cormoran strike novels there's three isn't there gonna, is there three? Oh right i okay, think there's yeah. three i think there's the cuckoo's calling there's the silkworm and then the last the most recent one i think is called career of evil so yeah because i mean i won't say anything else but at the end of this one they do very much like set set it up to carry on like the case the case is finished but the characters are you can see how they would easily move into the next thing oh that's great well there's there's apparently they've already filmed like seven hour long episodes of the adaption as well so it looks like it's you know it's very much a series that hopefully will continue So now we have arrived at the part of the show where we talk about something that we were recommended by you listeners. And this last week, we've been enjoying Love in Recovery, which was recommended to us by Emily Fox. Uh, just a quick reminder, it's a BBC Radio 4 programme. It's got two series already and a third one is just about to start. And it's about six members of an Alcoholics Anonymous group. It's set in the, the room where they have their meetings and the drama kind of follows from there. They talk about their stories and what's happening in their lives, really. So, Anna, how did you get on with it? Yeah, I thought this was amazing. I thought it was really, really great. I don't know what you thought, but I just think the the strength of the cast is so good that it would have to work quite hard to be bad with such great acting. <laughs> Yeah, so it stars Rebecca Front and Sue Johnston were two voices that I recognised immediately. Yeah. And then it also has Eddie Marston in it as well, I think. Yeah, he's he's the one who is in Happy Go Lucky and he was also yeah. in the BBC miniseries of Little Dorrit. I always remember his performance in that, which was very sort of like snuffling and like, I don't know, it was good, weird and animalistic. 
Yeah, so I think with those kind of cast members, because it, it is also the kind of thing that really, really depends on a great cast, because, I don't know, they're almost monologues, right? There's so much dialogue, obviously, because it's radio, that you just need really really good acting to to carry it off yeah i mean i sat down to listen to one episode of this and got through three without even really realizing it but i was particularly struck by that in i think it's the first one which is rebecca front's character is the focus of that one she plays fiona who is a former sort of high-flying investment banker and all the wheels have suddenly come off her very flashy uh exciting life because of her problems with drink and she starts off the episode like I don't know why I'm here my work's just made me calm all this kind of thing and then it gradually unravels into her doing this long like must be 15 minutes monologue it's the bulk of the episode where she explains how she's ended up where she is and what happened to her and the other characters barely say anything Mm. you know and so it's all hinges on her vocal performance and that's repeated in other other episodes each character gets one as the kind of focal point and yeah so the writing is very strong but as you say yeah I'm not sure it would work without those particular performances yeah and there are some really poignant lines like the writing is is excellent um and I think did you say last week that the writer Pete Jackson has has been in AA himself, maybe. Yeah, well, that that's what Emily says in her email. She says the the writer was an alcoholic and it's written from his own experience. Yeah, so I think that definitely comes across. There are a couple of lines that just, I don't know, I, does, does Fiona say something like, you can't be an alcoholic if you're like always drinking with, with friends and like having fun, but then again, you, you have loads of friends when you're really drunk, <laughs> which is like a very good way of putting that sort of like that kind of alcoholism that can sneak up on you where you're where you think that you're just like having fun and that you're just like a party person because you're not like crying alone in your flat, like two bottles of wine deep. But that's actually not <laughs> like alcoholism can function differently for different people. Yeah. Did you hear the episode with Julie as the main focus as well? The second one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That I think that one I found, if anything, even more powerful where she's you know, she's a, how, is she, how old is she supposed to be? 64, something like that. Mm. And she didn't even start drinking till she was 60 when her husband of 40 years, yeah, who 40 by the sounds years. of it had God, it always just... had his own problems with drink and she'd always had to be the one. So he got to be the, the fun one down the pub who everybody loved. And then she would have to put him to bed afterwards mm. and put up with all the abusive things he said to her while she was helping him. Yeah. And then he, he left her and she was like, I'm 60 I'm going to be the fun one in the pub for a while <laughs> totally and that's how it all came apart for her I really like the aside in that where she says she's like oh yeah my husband left me for the cleaner who ironically turned out to be a dirty bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was <laughs> funny <laughs> like it's obviously not like a feminist joke but it's just so funny yeah I, I really love Sue Johnston's character in it she's I think yeah having listened to three in a bit episodes she's my favorite so far yeah she's great yeah I thought it was great I actually it's the kind of thing that I just wouldn't have come across if it wasn't for the recommend so thanks so much for what, what a great recommend keep keep ones like that coming please 
Yeah, definitely. And uh, as I think we said before, we listened to the first series on Audible. So if you have an audiobook subscription or anything, you can get it there. And then the third series is due to start really soon, I think, on the radio. And there are a few episodes left of series two still up there. So we'll tweet out the links to those and things so you can find them if you want to give it a go. And speaking of listeners emailing in with great recommends, next week we thought we'd do something that has been recommended to us literally loads of times by different people. So, yeah, including by someone in the audience at our shout out festival oh, thing. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, so true. So lo- loads of people think it's good. So just to name some names, some people who've emailed in to recommend this program to us include Anna Saxon, Janine Nolt, Leslie Gale, and Karina Terios. I hope I said that last name right. It's called Terrace House, and it's a Japanese reality program. So it's called this this the season that we can watch is called Terrace House colon boys and girls in the city i think okay so yeah japanese reality show premiered on netflix in 2015 and i think the like bio on netflix just says friendship fights intrigue and even love six real life strangers one house countless cameras and it just basically follows the day-to-day lives of uh three girls and three guys who live in a house together in tokyo so they, it's not like big brother because they can go in and out of the house and they can like continue oh, right. living their lives and you know they, they don't have to give up their jobs it's just literally they live together so it's more like a housemate scenario but just with people you don't know exactly and they're allowed to look at their phones and like tweet and whatever they want so yeah it's kind of like a reality tv show but they've taken away some of those more formal constraints or those like more i don't know sometimes it can feel a big brother can feel a bit silly when you're watching people like cry about not being able to contact their you know boyfriend Mm. that they literally saw three days ago so it doesn't have that element of it i've watched like a bit of the first episode and it was still we were still sort of like being introduced to all the characters and stuff when i finished watching that so i think it's maybe a bit of a slow builder but they also have these like talking heads where they've got like I don't know if they're big celebrities in Japan or whether they're literally just famous for doing this show, but they have like people talking about like, hey, I like that guy who's brought a sewing machine. He seems really cool and he's really handsome. And like, you know, they have kind of like running commentary at the same time, a bit like the kind of after Big Brother show, but like. Okay, that that's quite fun. Yeah. Well, it's obviously in Japanese and subtitled if, if that okay. wasn't a I- I'm excited to give this a go. This is definitely something I would not try if it were not for Seriously. So Yeah. But it's definitely like get hitting the mainstream, I think, because it's b- probably because it is on Netflix. But I've seen lots of mm. people talking about it. So we'll give it a go. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, come back in two weeks to find out what, what we thought of Terrace House. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. On seriouslypod.com, you'll find all our back episodes, including our specials on Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends. We're also available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. If you've really enjoyed this episode, why not go to iTunes? and give it a rating and a review it helps other people find the show and if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.